Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Story time. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm a park warden or as you in U.S. would tell, park ranger. I spend most of my shifts alone working 5.30 p.m. to 2.30 a.m. in the Canadian wilderness. We have about 300 campsites, a handful of beaches and the infrastructure that goes with them, showers, etc. It just happens that my park is closed for the winter, which are standard Canadian, feet upon feet of snow and blistering cold, so there is no staff in the park from mid-October to early April. Years ago, 
A man decided to end it all via a sawed-off shotgun down by the river on one of the beaches in late November, and no one found him until the spring melt. This beach is at the farthest north point of the park and is pretty isolated, but as it has a beach it requires at least one patrol in evening. I was down in the showers at that specific beach around 7pm on a very overcast day, no sun yo create shadows. I was checking the supplies in the first aid kits and signing off on fire extinguishers. The weather was blah so there were no campers out or patrons anywhere near the beach, and the parking lot was empty except for my cruiser. All of a sudden a feeling of intense panic washed over me and I booked it to my cruiser. Get in, slam the door, take a few deep breaths and wait for the feeling to pass. After a minute or two I get back to business, but this time sitting in my locked car, which is still parked in the same spot, filling out binders and work logs. Suddenly, a huge dark shape moves across my driver's side window and I screamed and jumped back, my immediate thought was someone had been lurking and was about to try and smack the glass or open the door. Sure as shit, it's empty. Not a soul around. You can bet your ass I left any and all future maintenance tasks in that neck of the park to be done by the day shift. Floored it out of there with a giant F that. Maybe not the scariest or most shocking story that'll be posted, but it rattled me hard and I now refuse to do foot patrols down there at night three years later. I am currently an active duty army ranger working in the southern United States. I have been on countless deployments to Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait, among other countries. I've seen things that I can't even begin to count or explain because of how insane they are. So, about four months ago, while I was back home for a weekend visit at my family's cabin in South Carolina, back in 2006, I saw something happen that still haunts me to this day. All of this was too much for me to bear, so please help me through it. When I was out at my family's cabin one Sunday afternoon, I decided to go jog into my usual trail that I do back home. Since it was a cold and cloudy day in February, not many people were out on the trail like they usually would be. As I ran along, I noticed there was something in the distance towards my left side. When this thing and I got about a hundred yards away from each other, I stopped at an opening in the trail with dense, dead foliage, considering it was in the middle of winter. The creature was bigger than any known bird in existence, some say it is called a thunderbird. It had snow and feathers with black-tipped wings, spanning roughly 25 feet across and very long legs that looked similar to an ostrich's, hanging down. This creature was about 50 yards away from me and moving very fast. I decided to run, not knowing exactly what was coming my way, completely scared out of my mind. I made it back to the cabin in record time, thinking I had just seen a darn dragon, but it was easily the largest bird I'd ever come to know in my entire life. Now, I have some speculation on this. Back when I was in high school and would go hunting, there were rumors about cases of animal mutilations occurring around local forests and national parks. There was one case where a group of hunters went camping and hunting in the woods for weeks at a time. The story goes they saw something so frightening, terrifying, and unreal that watching animals get ripped apart by some kind of beast with huge claws and wings over the three nights scared them. Supposedly, 
The ranger found their campsite, interviewed all three of them, but there was no public information released. I know it sounds like a horror movie scenario, but I've heard many accounts from locals who still live around me since I was young, saying they see giant birds flying around sunset and dawn, only to see them disappear. These same birds are responsible for missing adults, children, and even livestock being killed. I believe they're what's known as a thunderbird. I'm not sure if it's related, but there was one account where a guy saw what he thought was an eagle or hawk until it became much closer. He realized the wingspan was well over 20 feet, and this bird was of colossal size. Terrified upon the sighting, the man fled in fear. It just makes me believe that what I saw is, in fact, the mysterious thunderbird that others have talked about seeing. It is common in Native American lore and legend, even among the natives. I hunt, I don't mean I sit in a tree stand, I mean I'm the guy out hunting by walking over the entire park with enough on my back to let me sleep at night. Sort of comfortably but little enough. I won't mind dragging 150 pounds of yummy out of the woods. Alright, so I'm hunting a fairly large forest somewhere in the northeast corridor of the US. It's not uncommon to run into other people at the edges of the woods, it's fairly uncommon to run into people in the middle of the woods, even during hunting season, unless you're on the trails, which I wasn't, and it's decently common to run into the ruins of buildings from the 1800s. I happened to be hunting a new valley I was pretty sure had a crossing in it so, to set the view, I'm sitting on the top of a very steep shale slide looking down into a valley with a creek running through it. Approaching this plateau, there's a knife edge that runs up and down the ridge but there's really no way to get up to this spot except for the seriously determined, the drunk, and the foolish without walking up or down the edge. Getting up here creates quite a noise from the stones sliding on the stones, which means I know I need to sit up here for an hour to let things settle back down after I made the ascent. Since it's such a pain in the ass, I left my day pack at the bottom under a pine tree and only had a rifle, binoculars, water, and an energy bar. I'm up here for about 3 hours glassing this little piss of a stream looking for something to cross it and seeing nothing but squirrels and birds and I finally decide to start glassing the opposite hill out of sheer boredom. I am 90% sure I chose a poor spot and wasted an afternoon looking at nothing. Such is hunting, it's got really interesting days, and it's got really boring days, and this is why it's called hunting and not shooting. As I'm screwing around with the focus on the binoculars I catch a glimpse of something which almost looks like a person if they were wearing dark blue clothes and about 4 feet tall. 99% of the time the day hikers just pass by without realizing I'm here even with the blaze orange requirements. Or they pretend to ignore me, but you'd be amazed how many times someone has almost walked through my stand. Anyway, this person wasn't moving which started to make me think I was wrong. It was just standing there, behind the cover of some low scrub brush and tree branches and I would have missed it were it not for the color. I zoom out a bit and realize I'm not looking at a person, but it's actually a collapsed cabin, and I was looking at where the door would be. Except it really looked like a person. And cabins aren't blue. I move the zoom back onto the door and play with the focus for about 5 minutes and I can't get the person to come back. In fact, 
The cabin door now has some light from the setting sun visible through the holes in the walls and roof. Whatever four feet tall thing I was looking at has moved. Sigh. Teenagers, right? I have that thought and then realize something else. I still can hear birds, and squirrels, and all the other things in the woods which typically go quiet when they notice something. Which means that they didn't notice me, but that also means they didn't notice whatever was in the cabin door a short time ago. I'm doing my best to stay quiet and not move and whatever it was certainly did move. I would expect everything in the woods to have gone for cover with a teenager crashing through the brush, but the noises almost made it worse. There was stuff moving in the brush. The problem was, stuff was moving around in the brush. I started to think it was a trick of the light, since the sun was setting, and it was getting to the part of the day when tree stumps looked like deer. I knew I would have to move soon and figured I might as well pack it up since I still had to get down off the shale and back to the pine tree where I had planned to throw a tarp and sleep. At this time I realized it wasn't dark per se, but it was overcast now. Again, the creepy experience isn't that there's something obviously wrong, it's that everything is so completely normal for what I would expect were I alone. About this time a fog rolled into the valley, which the combination of overcast weather conditions, sunset, and a ground fog coming up in the wet, low valley had signaled it was time to leave. I checked my safety, put the caps on my glass, and reached up to take down my orange flag. The moment I grabbed the flag, the dread came. That's the only way to describe it, the woods went from animals going home to sleep to full on your gone. The movement had attracted what I could only describe as a thousand invisible eyes which all turned in unison as they noticed me. Even wonder what a deer feels in the headlights? This is it. Then I heard children. I heard children laughing. Not teenagers. Not adults. Not women. But full-on five-year-old kids laughing like they caught a firefly. I had hiked in 5 miles the previous day through woods and put down 2 more today when I woke up to get to this spot and I distinctly hear children laughing during what I could only describe as the most creepy moment I've ever had in a valley I know is completely unoccupied having stared at it for the last 4 hours or so. I am pretty sure my feet only touched the shale 3 times getting down from the knife edge, and I made a ton of noises doing it too. At this point I didn't really care. I grabbed the pack and my flashlight and absolutely full-on rucked it to the next hilltop. I killed my light halfway up the hill, and then went to the top of the hill, where I threw down the tarp and unrolled my phone, and there I sat all night watching the hill I just came from. I'm an environmental educator at a nature preserve so I spend a lot of time outdoors in sometimes isolated areas. There's one area of the park I try not to take groups of kids anymore. Once in a while we have to go through that trail, since it's a shortcut to the kayak launch and when it's 95 degrees outside you're ready for anything that'll make your trip shorter. When I started there one of the first things I did was to familiarize myself with all areas of the preserve. So I spent quite a bit of time hiking through all of the trails, even the rarely used ones, since I have to know my way around to navigate groups or go rescue someone if they get lost, which happens. One part of the preserve is an old homestead site of a now abandoned pineapple plantation. It was settled in the 1890s. 
We don't know much about the family beyond the name and the approximate year they settled there, and the approximate year the homestead was abandoned. This is in southern Florida and there are thousands of similarly abandoned homestead sites. The early settlers of that area had to be tough as nails. This was pre-railroad area, the nearest town was about 5 miles south through what would have been wilderness with no real roads. So these guys were on their own in a land absolutely bursting with mosquitoes, panthers, bears, and bad water, water table is high and fresh water can be easily contaminated by the salt water nearby. In other words, early homesteaders were badasses because that was the only way they'd survive. There is a narrow trail through what was once the homestead site. On one of my first days, I decided to trek through there. I got about a half mile in when I started to get some weird vibes. I've always been sensitive to my surroundings and have spent enough time in isolated natural areas to know that if something doesn't feel right, it probably means your instincts are picking up on something you should pay attention to. Usually this means your brain is picking up on minute movements on the ground that indicate an unfriendly snake may be nearby or another animal you don't want to confront, while the panthers are nearly gone. We've got aggressive wild boars and bobcats that freely roam. So I stopped dead in my tracks and let my mind go quiet, looking around carefully for any warning signs. There weren't any, and I didn't see any recent tracks, but the bad vibe feeling was still there. I shrugged it off and kept going, the trail getting narrower. And the bad vibes kept growing deep in my gut. I felt I was being watched and followed. Now, this is an isolated area so the possibility that a person was following me was remote, but possible. I stopped every few meters but there were no sounds. Actually, none at all, not even birds. I started to sweat and my heart started to race. One thought kept echoing in my mind, you are not welcome here. You are not welcome here. Turn around. You are not welcome. Well f that, I thought. Just jittery from nervous new job feeling, I thought. I came to a bend in the trail and I stopped. My feet would go no further. In my mind, the phrase got louder and louder, you are not welcome here. You are not welcome here. I heard a crash coming from behind me. But when I turned to investigate, there was no one. Not animal, not human, nothing. The vegetation was sparse enough I would have been able to see something. I turned around and left. I put it down to nerves or me being a wimp or something, and sort of forgot about it. About a month later, I'm taking a camp group through to the kayak launch where our kayaks await us. I decided to take the kids through the narrow trail to save us about 10 minutes. We get to the same bend of the trail and the kids have gone silent. These are 9 year olds in summer camp. They are not silent. They're never silent. I look behind me to one kid who looks as though he's scared shitless. I don't like it here, he said. Why not? I asked. He looked me dead in the eye and said I feel like we shouldn't be here. I couldn't turn around at that point so we hustled to the kayak launch and all was well, but we were all a little on edge. I took another group through the trail a week later and again the kids were silent at that bend in the trail. For that whole summer, whenever I took the shortcut, kids would get silent and I'd get those bad vibes. I'd try not to go down that stretch of trail anymore if I can help it.
Obviously this is nothing more than a gut feeling on my end but only a few other times in my life have I felt a gut feeling about a place that strongly. I don't know if it's the spirit of whatever homesteader was there or something else, and it's hard to describe, but it doesn't want people trespassing. As far as I know it's never hurt anyone but it seems to make everyone feel the same way, you're not welcome. Edit, I can go take some pictures of the bend in the trail if anyone really wants to see. I worked as a camp counselor during my college summers, several years before stories of things like skinwalkers became culturally commonplace, certainly before I'd heard of them, and one year we had a night hike activity with story stations. My station had me by myself up on a cliff that overlooked the river, and about halfway through the hike. I was generally the furthest from the other staff at any given time, but because I was in charge of the nature programs, I knew those woods like the back of my hand. I wasn't frightened in the least, unless there was recent rain, I could usually get to and from my station without a light. There was another activity where the kids would lead me blindfolded somewhere and I would lead them back, still blindfolded. I knew those woods and those trails. The program staff or storytellers would get a notice to turn off our radios before the first group started the trail. After that, it was dead silence in the dark woods until the first group got there. Since I was fairly far through, it would usually be 15 to 20 minutes before the first group of kids came through. One night I'm up there, waiting, this steep cliff about two feet behind where I was sitting, and I hear this kid's voice from what sounded like about 10 feet behind me saying my name, clear as day. Now, it might not seem all that strange to hear a kid say your name at a camp, even when you think you're alone, but it's important to note here that we use nicknames for safety reasons, and there was not a single child on the 200-acre camp property who actually knew my first name. The staff did, but they were all at least 50 yards away, and this was very much a child's voice. It was also coming from what should have been mid-air. Scared me so bad I had to leave my station and set up closer to the next one so I could at least talk to her in the darkness. Over the course of the summer, almost all of the program staff had similar experiences on those night hikes, until we finally scrapped the activity because nobody wanted to be out in the woods alone without radios anymore. I had a friend in college and the both of us were pretty avid hikers. I was attending a small college in PA with plenty of state game lands and parks to explore. One particular day we decide to check out a spot known for its waterfalls. It was near where I boarded my horse and I had rode those woods many a time. It was quite desolate. In fact one time I got so lost while riding it took about two hours to find my way back to the barn and not once did I see a person or any sign of houses, cabins etc. Really out there. So we have a nice hike that day. Beautiful fall afternoon. The sun is setting as we're about a half mile from our car when in the middle of the woods from behind us we hear a young child's voice say hey mister, wanna play? After hearing stories and looking stuff up online I'm fairly sure it was a windigo. Me, my son and girlfriend were attacked by something. We were camping up in the northernmost area of Washington, 
My girlfriend is incredibly superstitious so she insisted we brought weapons. So I had my combat knife and a 12-gauge shotgun, and she brought a 22 rifle alongside a newly sharpened machete. Our son was just three years old at the time. She and I were set on edge from a park ranger, who seemed very tense and uneasy, who stopped us and instead of confiscating our weapons told us to be careful and stay safe, then sent us along our way to the camp. When we got there we were informed that several visitors had spoken about some unnatural noises and a pale creature that would mimic voices and sounds of people who weren't talking or seeming to be distracted. I laughed and put the idea out my mind, thinking to myself Therese no way. They're with us. But I knew better. So we then reached the area we were going to set up camp. We immediately got a fire ready to light and set up our tent and bags. I fed my son as my girlfriend ate a snack. We decided to get a lay of the area, so me and my girlfriend hiked around for about an hour or so. I had one of those baby carrying backpacks and my son started to get real heavy. Everything seemed normal until I saw something down the almost path we were on. We walked closer to investigate and saw drag marks. It looked as if someone had killed a buck. There was a whole outline in the dirt with a small dried pool of blood as if someone grabbed it from the antlers and pulled. That wouldn't be possible for any man to do, the buck or whatever it was would have been way too big for that. Shaken, we rushed back to base camp and restarted the fire and hurried back into our tent. Too afraid to leave since it was dusk by now we stayed inside the tent and my girlfriend put our son to bed. Eventually, Probably from the exhaustion of fright we fell asleep. What must have been hours later I awoke to a faint rasping sound that sounded like a child crying. I gazed outside in confusion and saw the outline of a creature that seemed to be a buck, standing over something. It seemed to be about 20 feet away. But at a closer glance had unnaturally long limbs for a buck, and was eerily tall. In sudden fear. I unloaded two shots into the creature and heard a loud blood-curdling cry. My girlfriend awoke screaming to the shots I had fired as I tried to explain what I had heard. To my surprise the animal hadn't moved an inch. Then I noticed the stains on the side of the animal. It looked like blood was running down the edge, and lots of it. It stared at me deep into my eyes as I became petrified with fear. A sinister feeling of dread fell over me as if it knew I couldn't move. I thought to myself, what if it starts to bolt towards us? Just then, this tall, decrepit demonic thing seemed to whisper something. I couldn't exactly tell what it was saying but it seemed to have said I need more. Children. My girlfriend screamed asking where our son was. We blacked out. In the morning we awoke to park rangers at our campsite. We didn't see our son anywhere, we told the rangers that he was missing and they started a search party. I explained what had happened and strangely they seemed to believe it. The one who seemed to be older by at least a decade pulled along the one we met earlier and whispered in his ear. I only heard a single line and I'm not even sure if what I heard was correct. It sounded like he said, it's getting bolder. They didn't seem to want us by ourselves so they waited with us while they continued the search. We stayed in a log cabin for three days with a forest ranger. When suddenly some rangers came into the cabin saying they couldn't find our son. My girlfriend starts to sob. I start to hate myself thinking that I could have done something if I wasn't frozen in fear. 
We rushed outside only to find some injured and frightened police officials. The rangers wouldn't tell us anything of what happened or what they saw. Or why the cops were scared shitless. All we know is that we don't have a son anymore. God help whoever goes into that forest next, and please please don't bring your kids with you. My daughter has been missing for five days. I just wanted to go on a hike with my daughter. Get in a little bonding time. Jesus, I never wanted this to happen. My little girl is out there somewhere, and it's all my damn fault. The cops are making me talk to a shrink tomorrow. I was the last person to see Amanda. I'm at the top of their list of suspects. The shrink is one of those hypnotherapy specialists. I'm afraid what I'll say when I'm under. Amanda is 16. That age when it gets harder to connect with your child, you know? I thought, hey, conservation land with urban legends attached, that'll be fun. And she was excited. I knew she was into that kind of stuff, you know? She'd watch those ghost hunting shows, and read online about all these urban legends, and stories about scary places. All that crap. I just wanted to make my daughter happy. For all I know now, she's dead. No. Can't think that way. Mustn't think that way. She's still alive. They're going to find her, and she'll come back safe. They're going to find her. The conservation land is several towns over. I won't tell you the name of the towns it encompasses. Won't tell you the town I live in. If you find out on your own, don't go there. It's called Raft Pines. Except, in all the folklore it's called Whispering Pines. Something about locals hearing whispers when they're walking around the place. A local tribe goes on and on about how the very ground is cursed there. Of course this just brings more tourists. God knows I was one of them. All sorts of stories connected with the place. Only one I was able to substantiate was the story of a serial killer named Jack Brentweather. He killed 15 little girls there in the 50s, and buried their bodies in the woods. I found a newspaper article about him on microfilm in the local library. Never found any of the bodies. When I called Amanda early last Thursday, and told her I'd called her out of school sick, she was intrigued. I told her to wait at the library for me. I picked her up from the library, and we went to breakfast at a diner. Then I drove to her mom's house, and left a note. When I explained to Amanda we were going to go for a hike in Old Whispering, as I'd heard some ancient rednecks say on a YouTube clip, she literally jumped up and down with excitement. We parked in the muddy lot at about 12 PM. There was a light drizzle. We each had bags filled with trail mix, a light lunch of ham and cheese sandwiches, oh what the f does it matter what we brought. I need my daughter to be alive. Jesus, Amanda, oh Amanda, oh God, oh God, please be okay baby. I had a map, and we brought flashlights. I brought my phone, and so did Amanda, in case something bad happened like one of us broke an ankle. Ha, ah, that was the worst thing I thought would happen. How naive. We didn't hear any whispers. We didn't see any ghosts. For most of the hike, it was remarkably boring. It was pretty, and a little quiet for the woods, but nothing strange happened. Only, when I checked my phone and saw that it was 3 p.m., I told Amanda we should start heading back. She pleaded, 
asked if we could just keep walking for one more hour. Please dad, she said to me, I just want to try to find this weird tree they say looks like a person. A tree that looks like a person? I asked. She said, yeah, it looks like a person, with their arms raised over their head. I sighed. I agreed we could walk, but only for one more hour. The smile on my daughter's face was enough to silence my aching back. We never found that tree. Next time I checked my phone it was 4.30pm forgot to mention there was a little bit of snow. Even with gloves and a warm coat, after 4 hours plus in the woods your bones start to ache with the cold. I told Amanda, look, honey, we need to start heading back. The sun was starting to set. I knew we'd end up walking back in the dark, but we had flashlights so that wasn't a big deal. Her mother was going to kill me. We've separated. Even with the note on her kitchen table, I knew she was going to chew me out. And I thoroughly deserved to get yelled at. I was wandering around in the middle of the woods all day with my daughter, when she should have been in school. But, with the divorce, I only got to see her on weekends, and I could feel us growing apart. I did what I did out of love. Love is the most dangerous emotion there is. We attempted to double back for the parking lot. I guessed it was roughly 5 to 7 miles away, maybe more. When I checked my phone, and saw it was 9 p.m., I started to panic. It didn't make any sense. They had trail markers. Little orange flags attached to certain trees, so you didn't get lost. And we followed the trail. But, we kept walking, and didn't seem to get anywhere closer to the parking lot. It was full on night now, and much colder. Amanda said she was getting scared, but I told her it would be okay, if we walked for another hour and didn't find the exit to the trail, I'd call someone for help. An hour went by, and I found the number for the- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Local park rangers. I called and got through to a man named Greg. I told him the situation and he said he'd come get us right away. I called my wife, and after she stopped yelling, I told her that Amanda was fine, that we'd just gone for a hike, and got lost, but that a ranger was coming, and not to worry. She yelled at me some more, but I think she was just glad to know where Amanda was. And then there was the light. Christ, it was the brightest white light I've ever seen. And with it came an explosion, a noise so loud my ears were instantly ringing, and I couldn't hear Amanda's screams right next to me. I felt like I was on an airplane. My ears hurt like that. The pressure was extremely painful. My head ached, and I saw Amanda run away from me. I yelled at her to come back, but I couldn't even hear my own voice over the noise. I was damn near blind with that light. I begged for Amanda to stop running, to come back. I felt something begin to drip out of my nose. It was blood. I felt a little trickle begin out of my ears. I blinked, 
and my vision went slightly red. I ran my finger under my eye, and it came away with more blood. I screamed as loud as I could for help, for Amanda to come back, and then I just screamed as loud as I could, not hearing the words, or even the sound, just screaming as loud as I could until I could feel my throat go raw. It felt like hours I screamed, and ran around, looking for Amanda, and hearing that deafening noise, despite how messed up my hearing was. And all the time that light, so bright I tripped over roots, and fell into trees, but still I kept running. Still I kept looking. I had to find my daughter. I had to find my little girl. But at some point, despite my fear and the adrenaline pumping through me, desperate to find my daughter, I must have passed out. The next thing I remember, is a park ranger named Derek with his flashlight in my face. I was disoriented, and the first thing I did was to take a swing at him. When I realized who he was, I calmed down a little bit. His lips were moving, but I could barely hear what he said. My ears still rang. A high-pitched whine. I took out my phone, and saw that it was broken. Not the glass, I mean the phone wouldn't turn on at all. I grabbed the ranger by the collar of his shirt, and yelled as loud as my damaged vocal cords would allow, where's my daughter? They still have teams out searching the woods. I was sent to the hospital immediately. They told me at the hospital I'm lucky the ranger found me when he did. They told me I'd had a stroke. A minor one, but that if I hadn't been treated as soon as I was I might have suffered serious brain trauma. They told me I only suffered minor brain trauma. The ear doctor, said, or rather wrote on a piece of paper for me to read, that I had suffered from noise-induced hearing loss. He wrote that I'll be lucky to hear at 50% of what I used to. I'm too distraught to even care. Those damned woods. They took my daughter. And I have no idea what really happened. All I know is that I have night terrors now. I'm back in those woods, and Amanda is running from me. And in the way dreams do, suddenly it's been hours, and I'm about to pass out. Only, I catch a glimpse of something before I go under. Skinny, long limbs, and a strange shaped head. Gray skin. No clothing. Naked. Tall. Large black eyes. And I can hear it speak to me, in my head. It speaks in a calm tone of voice. We like to use the ones who have just begun to develop sexually. The experiments will take years. Thousands upon thousands of cuts are required. This is necessary work. I am an avid hiker and happen to live near a national park that I think it's best not to name. Me and my friends go hiking there often. Or I guess, did. If you have ever been to a national park, you might have noticed certain areas were restricted for one reason or another. This one was no different, and the reason we were given was that the terrain was too dangerous. To me and my friends, this only made it sound more fun. When you spend as much time in a park as I, you begin to catch on to the ranger's routines, soon you are able to avoid them with ease. And so, we made our way into the restricted area. We were soon met with disappointment, as the terrain was quite flat and boring. It may have been safer there than other parts of the park. My friends and I started speculating why they might want to keep people out of here, and then we started getting shot out. We started running, I made the mistake of looking back. 
I didn't see the shooter and I didn't see the hole in front of me either. After falling a good 10 feet, I began examining my legs to see if I had broken them. My eye caught something. Behind some rocks was an old and deteriorating satchel. Contained within it, was some shotgun shells and what appeared to be a journal. Soon, my friends came back and helped me out of the hole. We all escaped without taking any bullets. One of my friends proposed the idea that they were simply trying to scare us away and may have only been using blanks. But that didn't make any sense, what could they be trying to hide? And why would they keep it in such a public area? Now, I think I know the answer. Once home, I began looking through the journal and found that many of the pages, although frail, were still intake. The name Ellie Johnson is written on the front. The remaining pages read as follows. October 6, 1915. The trees are all beautiful this time of year, it's a shame the leaves don't last long. I'd rather they look this way all year. I used some of the leaves to make beds for the sheep, I thought they could use them as it's getting colder. Dad says it will be even colder this year because our new land is up higher than the old. At first, that didn't make much sense to me, but now I can feel he's right. October 8, 1915. I've noticed my chores get done a fair bit faster now that there ain't much more than a cow and some sheep to feed. But this has left me with nothing much to do. My friends are all miles away now, and there ain't anybody out here but us. I try to help mom when I can, especially since she's carrying my little sister, or brother, but most of the time she insists on doing things herself. I never thought I'd want more chores. October 9, 1915 Nothing much happened today other than a sheep escaped for about half a minute before dad caught her. Ain't really sure why I opened this book. October 12, 1915. Dad's bringing a friend of his up here to go hunting. His name's Stan. Can't say I know him too well, I only met him once at church. I asked dad if I could come with them, he said someone had to stay back and help mom. He was right, I suppose, but that don't make me happy about it. October 13, 1915. I woke up this morning and found it snowed in the night, it's got to be at least 3 inches. I went to see what dad might have brought home, but he hasn't gotten back yet. Mom's real worried, and so am I dad's usually only gone a few hours, never all night. He's never gone hunting in those woods before nether. I told mom I should go out and see if I can find him, but she didn't much care for that idea at all. Says I'll get lost too, says we should just wait. So, I suppose that's what we're gonna do. October 14, 1915. Dad's still gone. I told mom that someone was gonna have to go looking for them, and since she's pregnant it was gonna have to be me. She began to cry saying she ain't gonna lose her entire family. Then she said if he wasn't back tomorrow, she'd send me into town to get help. I didn't want her any more upset than she already was, so I agreed. But I know he ain't gonna be back tomorrow, and if he's hurt, he's gonna need help quick. So, when mom went to bed, I grabbed the shotgun by the door and some shells. I took a lantern too. If I find dad and Stan, I'll help them back home and mom will be happy and if I don't, I'll come home, and she'll never know. October 16, 1915. I think I'm lost. I followed the footprints leading into the forest thinking I'll find them in no time. 
But that damn snow kept falling and the footprints began to fade till I couldn't see them anymore. At least not with my little lantern. But I wasn't gonna let this stop me, I kept walking where I figured they must have been going. This foolish idea went as well as one might suspect. That lantern ain't worth dirt, I didn't know I was on a hill till I was rolling down it. I hit my head against a rock on the way down, everything went black. I woke the next morning half buried in snow, but by the good grace of the Lord I didn't break any bones. I climbed back up the hill to find that the snow had erased my tracks just the same as the others. I thought if I just kept walking straight, I'd end up back home, but after a half hour I was still in the woods. I kept on wandering in every direction without finding nothing but more trees and snow, like the damn thing goes on forever. Didn't see a signal animal either. Not one squirrel nor bird. Like these woods are dead. I did find a small cave. I reckoned it'd be better than sleeping under a tree. But I didn't get any sleep. Something strange started howling soon as I closed my eyes. It didn't sound like any wolf I know of, ain't really sure how to describe it. But it was close by, much closer than I would have liked. I thought I might have been trying to sleep in its home, so I kept the gun ready. It didn't stop until the sun began to peek through the trees. Only then could I rest. I awoke about midday. I wonder if mom is alright. Probably not too happy. I hope she don't come looking for me like a fool. Like me. I hope she goes and gets help. October 17, 1915? I think it's the next day, but I ain't sure. Ain't sure of anything. I began another day of hopelessly trying to escape the woods. I don't think they ever end. I think home may be a thousand miles away, if even that close. I came across some footprints. They were bigger than a bear and had inch-long claws. Next to them seemed to be the marks from something being dragged along. I followed them. I know it wasn't smart, but it was something. Something in a forest of nothing. As I followed, I'd find blood around the tracks every now and again. I kept walking till I came across a cave. This one was much larger than the one I used for a shelter. There was something inside. It was a giant beast, hunched over, eating something. There was blood all around the mouth of the cave. I saw the bones of the creature's back poking through its gray skin. I stood frozen and started to cry. I wasn't sure why at the time, but now I believe it was because I knew who it was eating. Before I could make too much noise, a hand went over my mouth, and I was dragged behind a nearby rock. It was Stan. He gestured for me to be quiet and asked for the shotgun, I gave him it. I asked him what happened to his gun, he told me he dropped it while running away from that beast. Then I asked where dad was. He didn't answer. I tried keeping my tears quiet, but I failed. In the blink of an eye that antlered monster had its jaws in my leg. I screamed in pain, before Stan shot it in the face. It released me and turned toward him. He then shot it in the chest. This didn't seem to do much good other than making it mad. The gun was now empty, but the monster was enraged. Stan ran off into the never-ending forest with the abomination gaining behind him, leaving me alone. It was going catch him, and kill him, and drag him back here. Uh, then it was going do the same to me. I got up and began limping away. I kept my eyes closed until I was past the cave, 
I didn't want to see what was inside. I didn't get far before falling through the earth. Now I'm stuck in a hole. I don't think it's a work of nature, it's much too deep for that. It seems instead to be a trap, dug by a demon. I'm not sure how long it will be before it finds me. One of my legs are broken, and other has been badly wounded by that beast. I can't get out. The skin around the bite wound is beginning to turn gray, and I feel sick as a dog. Mom, if you find this, I love you. And also, run. When I first graduated massage school, I was hard up for money and decided to advertise on Craigslist, despite my teachers repeatedly warning against that very thing. But I'm a male, so I figured it'd be fine. I was pretty explicit about not offering sexual services. Dude named Charlie messaged me and arranged for a 90 minutes deep tissue at 9 p.m. on a Friday. He also requested a pic, big red flag. When I asked why, he said it wasn't anything creepy, he just wanted to be able to identify me when I arrived, for safety reasons. I was like, well I guess that makes sense. His house was also within throwing distance of my school, and he claimed he'd gotten student massages there. I show up that Friday. Charlie instructed me to enter through the side door that led into his basement. I see him peeking through the blinds as I approach. I'm getting weirded out already, but I did bring a knife, so I steal myself and enter his home. Charlie is balding, middle-aged, bug-eyed, and smiles like an anthropomorphic spider. I do not like this. His basement is wood-paneled, which brings to mind just so many PSAs from the 80s about stranger danger. There's a motorized wheelchair in one corner. He ushers me into the house. Basement is being remodeled, and the massage will take place in a bedroom at the very rear. In the hallway, my heart nearly implodes as I see a heavy-set woman with thick glasses and stringy hair staring at me. She is using a cane. I try my warmest smile and introduce myself. She just stares mutely. Charlie quickly guides me away from her into the bedroom, as if she's a temperamental dog that might bite. I ask to use the restroom. The bathroom down here isn't finished yet. Okay. Can I go upstairs then? No. I probably should have just left right then, but I really needed money and figured maybe this couple was just a little weird and I was being paranoid. I set up my table and get Charlie situated, should not have been surprised when he stripped all the way down, and he asks if he can watch Dancing with the Stars while I work on him. I try not to laugh. Tell him to go ahead. Dude is clearly a repressed homosexual who married an angry beard, F it, I'll give him his massage, get paid, and go. As long as he doesn't make a move on me, no big deal. I spend the majority of the 90 minutes on his legs, which is a bizarre request, but I was still a noob and he explained that he ran marathons. Towards the end he gets annoyed and says, I think that's enough work on my legs now. He asks if I will work on his abdomen. This is also pretty rare in our field. He says he lost several hundred pounds over the past few years and heard that regular massage can help with the excess skin, this is true, but requires daily massage in conjunction with lots of other things. Reluctantly, I agree. Five minutes later, I see the sheet begin to lift. Dude pops a tent. 
My first professional massage and I am now confronted with my worst fear, a raging boner. I just kept glancing at it for a while, as if I didn't quite believe it was real. Finally I snap out of it and stop the massage. Hey man, that's gotta stop or we're done here. Charlie looks confused. He glances from the TV, to me, to his boner. Oh. That's. That's me. Ah. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Did you think your dick was possessed? I tell him it's fine, perfectly natural response, but that he needed to calm down because I was not a S worker. He blushed and apologized, and we just went ahead and ended the massage there. He paid me the full amount and I packed up to leave. I wasn't 5 minutes out the door before I get text message asking if he can schedule a 2 hour undraped massage next week. As in, fully nude and exposed in all his glory. I politely declined. The following took place just after I turned 18. I won't give out my place of employment or details on the location of where I work. I work at a mall so I encounter plenty of people every day. This particular encounter took place 4 years ago. I opened my store and began daily tasks such as reading and responding to emails and changing signs to match the deals that were going on that day. It was a quick shift because it was only a part-time job for me. I clocked in and 4 hours later I clocked out and went to my college classes. Nothing particularly strange happened that day that stood out to me. Just the usual helping customers find items that they're looking for and ringing them up. It wasn't until a few days later when I was sitting in a restaurant with my boyfriend at the time and my phone was buzzing like crazy. The girls in my work group chat were going nuts over a screenshot of a man's post on Craigslist. When I opened the image, the man was describing his encounter with me and my store in the missed connections on Craigslist. Apparently, I had helped him find items for his daughter, rung him up and he left without any crazy alarms going off in my head. As I sat in the restaurant with my boyfriend thinking back to my shift a few days prior, I thought back to a couple of men that it could have been that day. For the next couple of weeks, I watched my back at work. I made sure I carefully examined each person, especially men, who entered and exited. This was my first job, and because I was 18, I didn't have a lot of experience with people constantly checking me out, on the innocent end of the spectrum, or stalking me, the more extreme end. This whole experience still has me looking over my shoulder, not for the same man, but for any other person who may slip under my radar and go unnoticed as a total creep. I no longer wear a name badge and my coworkers know not to give out my schedule. Just makes you think. So, over the last 7 months, I've been working for someone I responded to on Craigslist. Well, I'll just explain everything. This seems like an appropriate place to post this. I was scouring the internet for some sort of paying gig, I didn't really care what. Then I came across a post on Craigslist, I had just refreshed the page and there it was. Someone was looking for a person to come by and feed their pets. I assumed they were going out of town or something. So I contacted them and left my number through email. I got a response immediately in the form of a phone call. The caller was a man, who explained to me that he was moving out of town, 
and his parents had cats they wanted fed daily. I gave the man my name so he could run me through a cursory background check, and in about 20 minutes, I was hired. I went there the next morning to get all the instructions and whatnot, and met the man I'd spoken to on the phone. His name was Ben. Ben explained to me that he would no longer be able to care for his parents' cats, and that his parents needed to focus on themselves, so I was being brought on to take care of that. The money would be left on the kitchen table at the end of every week, $200 a week, just to feed some cats, I know right? In addition to that, money for more cat food would be left for me as needed. Then he told me the first thing that I thought was strange. I was to come at exactly 10 a.m. every day, and be gone by 10 10 a.m. And I was to never, under any circumstances, to interact with his parents. He told me that when I'm in their home, they will be in their chairs in the living room, watching television, and that I was not to disturb them, ever. He asked if any of that would be a problem, to which I assured him it wouldn't. He then showed me the area in which the cats eat, there were four cats, and where the food was kept. While not rude in the least, he was very adamant that I not explore further in the house, which I promised him wouldn't be a problem. He ushered me outside and showed me where the spare key was in case the door was ever locked, but he told me that was very unlikely to happen. And with that, he expressed his hope that I could be trusted one last time, shook my hand, and told me to be there at 10 a.m. every day starting tomorrow. If I was ever unable to make it, call and leave a message on their home phone, to which he gave me the number. I shook my head and was on my way. The next day came and I went inside at exactly 10 a.m. I walked into the house, and immediately to my right were Ben's parents, sitting in recliners, facing away from me, watching some kind of game show. I announced my presence, which they ignored, and made my way to the kitchen. I fed the cats bowls and left. This exact same scenario played out countless times over the next few months. 10 a.m., unreturned hello, feed the cats, leave. On Fridays, I would pick up the small stack of $20 bills from the kitchen table. It was the easiest job I ever had. Then came the inevitable, one day, I was running late. I got to the house at 10.08. I entered and apologized to Ben's parents for being late, to which I once again got no response, they just kept sitting in their chairs watching their game show. I went to the kitchen and fed the cats. I looked at my phone which read 1011, and walked down the hall towards the front door. When I reached the living room, I jumped and gasped out of shock. Ben's parents were now standing in the dark behind their chairs, completely still, staring directly at me. I apologized for running late and got out of there. Though unnerved, I went back the next day on time, and everything was fine. A few more months went by of nothing strange, and then came the last day I was there. I got there at 10.03, but wasn't worried because I knew I could be out before 10.10. The problem came when I was in the kitchen and I heard someone whisper the words help me. It startled me, and I jumped, looking around for the source of the cry for help. I saw no one around, but I heard it again, and then a third time. I began looking around, before realizing I was running behind. I looked at my phone and it was 10.10. My heart sank to my stomach when I looked down the hallway and saw Ben's parents for the first time in the light. 
They were grossly emaciated and pale, looking completely malnourished. They were essentially walking skeletons. I apologized for taking so long and said I'd be on my way, but they just stood there, blocking the way to the front door. I said I would take the back door, which was located in the kitchen, but when I went to open it, I found that it required a key to open from the inside, seriously. It was at this point that true panic set in. I looked behind me, and the parents were now about a half a foot away from the entrance to the kitchen, and I had nowhere else to go except what I presumed was a door to a pantry. They had blank stares across their faces, and their eyes looked as if the life had left them a long time ago. In a last-ditch effort, I went to the door that I thought was the pantry, and was instead met with a staircase leading into a basement, with, of course, no light. As soon as I opened the door there was a horrid stench that washed over the otherwise clean air I was standing in. I carefully went down the stairs and looked for a window, but they were all nailed shut. I happened to look back up the stairs, and the parents were now standing next to each other at the top of the stairs. It was truly horrifying. I pulled out my phone and called 911, not knowing what else to do, and when I explained my situation, they said they would send a car out immediately, and to stay on the phone while they connected me to the unit on route. I ran into the dark basement using my phone as a light. It didn't provide too much illumination since I was in the middle of a call, but it was just enough. There were racks of junk that lined the basement, separating it into almost aisles. I went down down to check if any of the windows were possibly loose, like I'd be that lucky. Then I turned around and shined the light in front of me, and I was inches away from the parents' lifeless looking faces. I let out a scream and ran in the other direction, and tripped over something, sending my phone flying from my hand. Of course, it landed face down so I couldn't find it. I ran back up the stairs and into the kitchen, looking back and seeing the parents standing at the bottom of the stairs, with slight grins on their faces. I ran down the hall to the front door and flung it open, screaming when I saw the cop standing right in front of me. He asked me if I was the one that called as I pushed past him to get outside, and told him I was. I looked in the window and saw the parents sitting in their chairs, watching their game show. I explained that these crazy old people had trapped me in their house and were chasing me around. The cop went in to talk to the parents and look around while I sat in the cop car. He came back out about 5 minutes later and asked if I was sure someone was chasing me. I said yes, I was absolutely sure, that it was the two old people that lived there. He informed me that the people that lived there, the people in the chairs, have been dead for quite some time. I asked what the smell in the basement was, and he said there was another body down there. Backup showed up. I gave them my statement and explained how I'd been coming there every day for months and months to feed the cats. I told them to call Ben, the homeowner's son. I gave them the number, and it was disconnected. I found out a few days later that the body in the basement was Ben. What I don't get, is who's been paying me. I had a four-bedroom house with a friend while in college. We rented out two of the rooms and mostly found people from Craigslist or from flyers on campus. The extra rooms were like revolving doors and we had new roommates all the time. One guy, ex-marine, shows up, 
We give him a tour and all seems normal. He mentions he had a small dog, Pug, and we say it isn't a problem as we have dogs and he moves in the next day. We literally saw this guy once every two weeks. So four weeks into him living there we start to notice a foul smell emanating from his room. When we open the door we find a giant bowl full of food and another giant bowl for water along with piles of shit everywhere. The room was one massive shit box. Turns out the guy just needed a place to keep his dog while he went out to party all day and night. We immediately call him and it goes to voicemail. We send him a WTF text and no response. We text him he has a week to get his stuff and then we are changing the locks, plus he is not getting his $500 deposit back. So, he shows up one day while both me and my other permanent roommate are at school. We show up back at the house and the dog and his clothes are the only things gone. He left a bedroom furniture set, television, other odd and end stuff, and piles of dog shit. Some of his belongings are ruined from shit and piss but we still manage to clean and salvage what we can. We change the locks that day and sell all his crap on Craigslist and I make about $600. With that I paid for the room to be professionally cleaned, carpet replaced, and moved on about my business. I stopped advertising rooms for rent on Craigslist after that, 